McNulty standing for anyone to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the PO Forecast, episode 160, recording on the 23rd of September, 2022. I'm your host, Freddie Reb, and yes, if you hear my voice to start with, you already know what's going on. Hugh and Andy are both sick. Andy caught COVID again at Fratton Park. I think this is the third time he's caught it, so he's the most unluckiest man in the world. And Hugh, I have no idea why he's ill, probably alcohol-related. We have no idea, really. But it's just me, but I've drafted in the best possible substitutions I could do. And all, both of them are very insightful. So I hope you enjoy their opinions. The first of them, you've seen him before. The last time he was on was when we were talking about the Marcus Harness, Colby Bishop, Joe Piggott transfer saga. He is, of course, football manager finest, Christopher Proud. How are you? Uh, thanks for bringing me back from the reserves. I, I know I cracked that joke the last time I was on. I, I'm just a reserve squad player, and I, I don't mind. Like <laughs> I'll get my I'll get my minutes here and there. But yeah, I'm good. It's uh, yeah, it's it's been exciting. I think being a Pompey fan, obviously uh, not as many games as the other teams, but you know, I'm sure we can discuss that as well. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. But obviously, still unbeaten at the time of recording. Just everything on the pitch is going incredibly well, and so many things off it as well. So. We, we are sometimes scraping the barrel. It's not like the old days where we're literally just ranting into a microphone every two minutes. So these pods are now going to be very different. And our other guest, you would have seen him before. He is, of course, Pompey Stats on Twitter. He loves some XG, some pressing stats. He just, he just loves staring at spreadsheets. And I, I really enjoy that. It's uh, Mr. Joff Taylor. How are you? Good evening. Yeah, I'm all right, chaps. Good to be back. Good to make an appearance off the bench once again. I actually today in a work chat said, is it sad that I enjoyed doing simultaneous equations? So that says everything you need to know, I guess. But no, good it, to be back. Yeah, it, it definitely does. It definitely does. I like some XG, but no, simultaneous equations, my God, that's just, I'll, I'll leave that to you, shall I? Definitely. Definitely. Right. So for today's show, we are going to be talking about the Plymouth game. It seems a while ago now, but there are lots of interesting things to talk about with that game. And considering they're a promotion rival, we'll go through that in all the detail. We will also be playing Guess the XG because we have two participants who haven't looked at the advanced data. So we'll be doing that. We also have some news bits. There are some injury news alongside comments made in the media, which are hilarious. And then one potential thing which could change the fabric of the Football League as we know it. But we'll we'll find that out when we go through it in detail. And then also the Tony Goodall fan conference minutes were released. Literally about two hours ago, there are a few interesting tidbits there. Right, the Plymouth game. Two-all draw at home against Plymouth. Promotion rivals. Last-minute winner, when it looks as if the Blues completely coughed it up, if you remember. Proudy, what did you think of the team selection and the first half? What were your opinions? It was... It, I, I think, like, we're looking every week 
and seeing that every squad that Danny Cowley puts out is a strong team. And even looking at the bench, I think we didn't have that last season. I don't think there's really many complaints we can have about the fact that we're playing pretty much the same team every week, even even the back four as it is, with uh, Connor Ogilvie playing as right back at the moment, with um, Rafferty out injured. But yeah, it, I, I quite enjoyed the team. I think Curtis did need a rest. Uh, I think Cromer's obviously come in. He made quite an impact coming off the bench against Peterborough, so I was quite happy with him starting. And the first half was great. I think I think we should... Like I think when we scored, I think we should have already been two up. I know Bishop missed a header, which I don't think we're going to say too often this season, but like he missed a header from about eight yards out, which you would always back him to score. And I, I can't remember, there was another really good chance we had, which I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, before Coroma scored, So, which was a great finish. I, I think it's something that, what a way to announce yourself to the Fratton Park crowd, of course, uh, like that as well uh, on your full debut. So, yeah, I can't really have any too many complaints about the first half. I, I don't think we really gave Plymouth too many opportunities. I know they scored the offside goal, but I don't really remember Griffiths really having much to do. You know, the team selection, like every week, I, I've always like agreed with. I don't think I've had too many complaints about them. And yeah, the first half was brilliant. Uh, but yeah, like I, yeah, it's not really many complaints on my side. Yeah, so it's Jocko Guy's memory. There were a few bits in the first half. I was going to mention that Colby Bishop free header in the middle of the penalty area. It was a lovely rip cross by Owen Dale. No defender was nearby Bishop, right? Pretty much on the penalty spot, even or even close to six six yard box. Joff, I'm going to uh, ask the old man question: Should he have scored? Uh, yeah, I think when he, yeah, when he gets that chance, and you know, most of the games he's scoring that. I don't know whether it was because it was relatively early on that he didn't score and needed to, you know, play a bit more to get get into the game. But you know going on his previous heading record and how you know how often he scores with his head and his movement in the box that you do you do expect him to put it away yeah absolutely I think uh, looking at the uh, advanced stats for that it's quite obvious as well but I'm not giving it away because guess the XG is later on so I'm giving no clues to anybody other bits in the first half there was a goal by Edwards for Plymouth but Finisaz was deemed offside in the build-up Dane Scarlett had a lovely chance well, it was a strong flick on shot from the edge of the penalty area, but it was well saved by Cooper, uh, or it was blocked by Barley Mumba. The camera angle's a bit weird on that one. I unfortunately wasn't at the game because I was working, which was annoying. There was also a moment of controversy in the first half, which wasn't mentioned, so I'll draw your memories of that as well. There was a Sean Raggett volley from a, from a long throw. Danny Cowley definitely thought it was over line. A lot of fans in the stadium thought it was over line by roughly about three yards. So really, from looking at it back, it was quite a strange acrobatic move by Raggett to actually get his foot on it in the first place. I only have the angle of I follow. Do either of you have any idea if it went over the line or not, if it was a clear mistake at all? I, I wasn't at the game either. <laughs> I saw it on I follow. It, it looked like it hadn't fully crossed the line from the angle that I got anyway. I think it was it was trickling in. It looked at first, when I saw it in real time, I thought I was in, I already started celebrating. Uh, until obviously um, until we caught up and then I realised that uh, the ball hadn't actually crossed or the referee had said that it hadn't I, I don't know I, I've, part of me feels a bit aggrieved that the defender blocks it with his hand as well because I feel like if his hand wasn't there it would have gone in like the, the ball was going into the back of the net so we've been denied that as well which I think is I, I don't know whether Morrison was arguing with the assistant referee whether the ball crossed the line or whether it was a handball, because surely the assistant referee could see both of those. 
uh, instances. Yeah, I'd have to say it hasn't crossed the line. Uh, it just probably was just on, like a little bit of the ball was just on the line. But then, you know, that's there's human error that comes into it. And whether the system uh, referees missed it, a, a clear, like the ball going over the line, you know, unfortunately it just wasn't, it didn't go in our favour. Yeah, it's just one of those things we don't necessarily want if they are in League One. Well, I certainly don't anyway. Proudly brought up a good point, Joff, with the handball. Obviously, the handball law, it's always so complicated that it, 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 you'll be debating whether a hand is in a natural position for about two hours in the pub after the game. Do you think it should have been a penalty for the handball? Yeah, ultimately, it's hit his, his arm where his elbow is. He hasn't punched the ball or anything, has he? But it's quite blatantly hit his arm. I've seen some rather zoomed in photos where you actually can't tell what's going on but looking at the footage you can tell this it's, it's hit the player's arm and you know by the letter of the law that's a red card and a penalty which would you know drastically change the game at that point i also agree i don't think the ball was over the line the liner could probably see that more than he could see a handball happening just because the box is so congested but yeah for me handball penalty red card um but yeah some of those decisions don't go your way and that's fine hopefully we'll get one go our way later on the season yeah, they don't always do, do they? But it didn't stop the Blues, though. Josh Caroma eventually scored his first goal on loan from Huddersfield, of course. It was a lovely pass by Robertson from a switch of play. Caroma was able to dribble past Joe Edwards, who slid in. Caroma just made that one touch to go around him and then just side-footed Curler into the top corner. Proudy, best goal of the season so far, do you think? Or can you think of another one? Yeah, it probably is. I think the way that... Because I'm always an advocate for wingers cutting in insides uh, so that's why i've got a lot of love for ronan curtis as well but i've always been frustrated about like players doing that and not shooting because i feel like they have the angle especially if you like the way that chroma's obviously hit the ball as well he's opened up his body and curled it into the opposite corner and a lot of goalkeepers and talking as a goalkeeper myself it is one of the most difficult shots to save because if you hit it with enough pace you're not saving it like there's no way you're saving it unless like you're obviously a world-class keeper, but you're not going to get those in League One uh, as well as Co- uh, sorry, as good as Cooper is. So yeah, the fact that he's done that and he's done it so fast as well, which I think has caught Cooper out. I, I feel like I think if he dallied for like maybe like a millisecond more or a little bit more, I think Cooper saves it possibly. But yeah, he's just he's like driven at the defender, opened up his body and curled it into the top corner. I think it's it's one of those goals where he's just like. You know, I, I don't know why we've not seen this more often over the years because we, you know, we've had players that can cut in from the left uh, as far as I remember, like, you know, uh, racking my brain, like Carl Bennett uh, was a player played on the left cutting side, obviously Ronan Curtis as well, but they've never really scored that sort of goal. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it was a great goal. And yeah, goal of the season for me. Carl Bennett is a name I haven't heard in a long time. In a, <laughs> in, in a while. I think the last time I saw him, he was playing for AFC Telford. Yeah, I, I remember the last game I saw him play and he got released straight after that. So, um, no. yeah. It's, it I remember he, he had an excellent season in the 16-17 one and then he just went, didn't he go for like half a season without getting shot on target? Uh, something ridiculous along those lines. Yeah, I, I still remember like the game that I was talking about was uh, we lost to Bradford at home 1-0 and he had an absolute shocker. I remember he rounded the keeper, missed an open net. He also missed another big chance. And then I think like five days later, we announced that he was gone. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, that was the end of his career there. Good player though on his day. But, oh no, I yeah. wrote, I wrote to him in the, yeah. uh, in the Paul Cook side, especially second half. It didn't go the blues way at all. Plymouth actually made a tactical change. Um, they brought on an analyst for Ryan Hardy and then also went to sort of a two up top sort of thing. It was a very fluid formation. So it was quite a change and they got back into the game, unfortunately for a Sean Ragger own goal. I'm sorry, it was an own goal that wouldn't have looked out of place on a Danny Baker Christmas DVD of own goals. 
diving header straight into the corner. Unfortunate. Geoff, before I go into Plymouth taking the lead to make it 2-1, what did you think of Plymouth's tactical change bringing on Ellis? And also, they also brought on more subs. They also brought on Sam Cosgrove and also Adam Randall as well. Changed the setup a bit and really dominated for 15, 20 minutes. Why do you think Portsmouth didn't adapt to that quickly enough, do you think? Yeah, it's always hard to change to a a system change from the opposition. You know, I think they went from a 3-4-3 or a 5-2-3, however you want to look at it, to a 4-4-2 kind of shape. Yeah, I think when you go man for man like that, I think, and make those subs, Plymouth kind of had the physical edge. They could outrun us for a bit. Yeah, Morels still didn't really look immensely fit. I think I saw they had to have the painkilling injection midweek to get him fit for the game. And yeah, he came on for Lowry. I can't remember when, some point in the first half, right? But yeah, they just looked better for, better than us for that 20 minutes, kind of, yeah, had us man for man all over the park. And yeah, we didn't adapt massively, but we got the goal at the end. That's, I guess, all that matters. But no, I think they, for that, you know, that period in the second half, they definitely outplayed us and yeah, scored with one pretty good chance and then got the own goal. Yeah, it was um, Larry came off in the 40th minute. Joe Morrell came on. It was obvious that Joe Morrell wasn't quite match sharp. He seemed to go about a fair bit, but he got better as the game went on, at least. Nala just made it 2-1 to Plymouth. It was an excellent bit of space. It's counter-attack move by Plymouth, actually. There was a lot of space through the middle. Through ball by Morgan Whitaker, who I thought was probably Plymouth's best player, um, in my opinion, throughout the entire game. Through ball, splits the centre-halves, Reggie and Morrison. Nala is one of the one of the keepers to make it 2-1. Then afterwards, it could have been even worse when Morgan Ritzker, it was like, again, another counter-attack style chance with Morgan Ritzker rounding Josh Griffiths, but Conor Ogilvie making a sensational interception, probably the best interception of the season. Proudy, Conor Ogilvie played it right back again this game. Even though he's playing out of position, do you start him at right back for the foreseeable until Rafferty's fit? Are performances like this the reason why he's preferred on, on his wrong side? Yeah, I think he has become one of those players on the Cowley. I think since Cowley signed him, he's become one of those players as essentially one of the first names on the team sheet, no matter where he plays. I think we've played him in three different positions now since he's been at the club. Played him at obviously left centre back, we've played him at left back and now right back. It clearly shows that he is a level above this league, I think. Uh, we have a couple of players like that, but I think Ogilvy has shown it over a longer period of time. I, th- I can't remember a single game off the top of my head where he's had a bad game and I thought oh he'd come off like the fields having a bad game I don't think there's been a single one I'd say ratings wise as well if we were to rate his performances I think the lowest rating he's probably got is a 7 that's that's probably been in the game he's been quiet in and he's not really had much to do uh, defensively I did have my reservations the first time he played right back I was like oh I'm sure like Swanson's on the bench Cowley probably doesn't think he's ready yet. And I think he gave his reason why he didn't start him against Burton, saying that it was a physical team and Ogilvy could probably deal with that better, which I understood. But it doesn't even look like he's any different like compared to when he plays at left-back. And he is essentially one of the first names of the team sheet. And I think a lot of Pompey fans would agree with that. You mentioned other players who are higher up this league or better in this league. Uh, who do you think they are and how many? Oh, well, in terms of like ability compared to Ogilvy? Oh, that's, just that just is. ability in the entire league because obviously most successful t- sides in this division have like those one or two players who you just look at them and think why on earth are they playing in League One and you mentioned that some players are like that Ogilvy being one of them what are the other players in Poppy's lineup? do you think match that description I think like you can tell like Dale 
is is above this level. Like I, I obviously Scarlet as well. Like everyone knows about Scarlet. I think Marlon Pack can definitely do it again in the championship. I think the, a few Cardiff fans said that he wasn't good enough for them like in the championship. But I think he could in a better system. Obviously, Chroma Curtis, I think, also can. Uh, I think you know a lot of championship clubs have been after Curtis as well, and we, that's been quite public knowledge for a while. I think there's quite, a, yeah. I think there's there's a couple of players in our team now where I look at them, and I think if we're in the championship tomorrow, then you know I don't think we have to improve on that position. I think Joe Morrell as well, actually. And yeah, there's like compared to last season, where I looked at the team and I thought, yeah, there's there's like one player here who could play higher than this level, and that was Bazunu. So it was like, yeah, there was, you know, and in my opinion, that's where we are. It's almost, it's, it's too early to say that we've got the foundations of a championship side, but we've definitely got the infrastructure for it. If somehow we were transported to that division tomorrow, the key turning point in this game, Pompey 2 1 down, looking as if the game's slipping away from them. But Brendan Galloway was awful. He got booked for a needless yellow card for descent, and then he got into a pushing match with Michael Morrison in the penalty area. Morrison came out after the game, basically saying he knew what he was doing. He was getting under Galloway's skin and he lashed out and the second yellow was given. Perfectly fine decision by the referee on that one. And it changed the pattern completely. They weren't set up for those set pieces. I really liked Pompey's goal. I've mentioned my dislike for long throws because of just the repetitive play of them all the time. But this was an excellent way to adapt properly. Set up as if it was a long throw by Plack, but he takes it short straight to Morrell. One, a few touches out of his feet, puts in a lovely curling cross to Rico Hackett, who's just free, heads it right in the corner, massive scenes. Joff, was the equaliser deserved, do you think? And uh, what did you think of the play leading up to the goal? Yeah, in terms of kind of the overall balance of the game, it was definitely, I think a draw was, yeah, a draw was a fair result, if not a win to us. I've not seen the detailed XG, but the overall XG had us, from what I recall, almost like 3-1 to us, from what I've seen on Twitter. But yeah, that move move to get the equaliser was top you know you have a repeated process like the long throw or you know another example could be another team doing a short corner and then you change it up when the opposition are least, least expecting it and you you benefit from it and that's what happened there and i think it was real smart you know pack sets himself up for the long throw goes short and you know with that man that extra man not in the box defending um yeah we really capitalized so really smart bit of play almost you know uh, the clever thing, thinking to do that, you know, almost deserved a go. I think, yeah, overall on balance, probably a fair result. Yeah, I thought two two was fair result as well, and it's like the most common scoreline between Portsmouth and Plymouth, which was just seemingly absurd. And also, Geoff, you mentioned that you didn't look at the XG before the game, but you said you might have done. Uh, did you lie to me before this? No, I I'd seen the overall XG, but not the individual chance XG. So I'm. Still in contention for guess the XG, but right, okay. I'll, I'll um, go. I'll go on to that later on. It was it was quite clever. Plymouth really got at the Blues at first, sort of with their front three, and then changed some things. Their pressing stats are quite interesting, and it shows what we thought about the changes by Stephen Schumacher that adapted the game. Looking at the passes allowed per defensive action stats, basically the lower the stat, the more high intent the press is. Pompey's pressing was. 3.3 between 15 minutes and 30 minutes, which was excellent on top of them, really. 8.8 between 31 and 45 plus minutes at the end of the first half. That was when Pompey were on top, leaning off a bit, but 8.8 is still fairly high press, in my opinion. Then it goes to 7.8 from 46 to 60 minutes, 
roughly around the 60 minute mark. That's when Niall Ennis comes on and that's when some of the other changes happen. Sam Cosgrove comes on as well. Pompey's pressing drops all the way to 20 and 11 afterwards, after that fact, after the changes were put in. So that shows as well as your eyes that the game fell away from Pompey a tiny bit. Proudly, do we need to overreact about this almost like 15, 20 minute spell that arguably cost Ports of three points in this game? Are we reading into it too much or doesn't it matter really? I, I think no, we don't have to worry about it too much at this time of the season. I think we've, I, I said it was, uh, I said in our group chat as well, it was quite, I want, uh, ironic sort of the right word, but you know, I think we've always been better in the second half this season. I think there's a lot of games we've been better in the second half. Newport aside, uh, in the Carabao Cup where uh, we were better in the first half, but you know, we've always been better in the second. And then I was worried at half time because I thought that was probably one of the best first half performances we've had this season. And I'm thinking, what if that means that the second half is not as good? And yeah, as you like, we, we were on top until yeah, that 20 minute spell where it just all seemed to fall apart. And I think maybe we. Well, actually, the changes we made, I, you know, we we make the same changes pretty much every week. Like it's it's pretty standard now. Uh, we would always bring on Piggott for the last twenty minutes, and then uh, Curtis. And I don't know whether one of those goals as well. I have to watch back the footage, but I think it's the second goal where someone had mentioned that Curtis hadn't tracked back fast enough, and then it just led to the whole defense being shuffled over because uh, I think Robertson was occupied and then meant that Raggett was then shuffling over Morrison and it left a massive gap right in the middle. And if it, it hadn't had happened, if Curtis had been back in his position defensively. Uh, but I think, yeah, you're right. Uh, it was a 20-minute spell, which could have cost us a game, but it's too early in the season, I think, to panic. I, I think we've got many more games this season. If it was, if this had happened in February, then I'd be panicking because I'm like, oh, we've got three more months like, and we have to sort this out. But still loads of time this season. I think I think this can happen to any side where, especially if it's a major tactical swap and personnel swap, it takes time for players just to adjust those things in game. And it's just so happened that Porto didn't. The own goal definitely didn't help. That was arguably preventative, really. But the own goal sort of let the ball rolling an awful lot for Plymouth. They got on top and a lovely goal by them to see that. Okay, so we're going to, obviously, the listener's favourite bit. Andy's least favourite bit, but he's not here, so he's not going to stop me doing this segment. Guess the XG. We are going to pick Josh Caroma's first half wonder goal. What is the expected goals or the XG, the quality chance on that strike? Proudy, you're the least experienced. I'm going to let, <laughs> just because of that, I'm going to let Joff go first since he is, he looks at these analytics a bit more. What was Caroma's XG? Ooh. Um, I don't know. Does the white is your? Are you looking at Y Scout for this? Oh, I am, yes. Because I'm not sure if their model takes into account where the keeper is. Uh, I'm going to guess naught point. Hmm. Naught point. what is your prediction for Caroma's XG? I'm going to have to change one now. Um, <laughs> my, my, mine's well, you've been playing football high, manager, so, so you yeah, might not know here, but I still don't understand XG in football manager. Um, so, oh, I'm going to go, just because where he was, I'll go 0.16. Unfortunately, Joff is the closest. Joff wins with his 0.05. Karoma's uh, XG was 0.07. Probably looking at the way Karoma struck the ball, I think, with the side foot, because you see those so many times just 
go straight into Rosehead or nowhere mm. near the keeper. So I assume that's why. Um, I thought it was a tiny bit harsh, but hey, we will keep that in mind. And because you got that drop, I'll buy you a pint next time I see you at Portsmouth game. Thanks. That would be your prize. And can't, I be- can't wait. I believe from memory, it is three two to Hugh in terms of the overall guest XG standings, which is the most important thing of every single podcast. Obviously, that's what the listeners tell me all the time. No hints of sarcasm whatsoever. <laughs> so now we are going to go on to the news section. So today, Pompey played a behind-closed-doors friendly against Chelsea. The score was literally announced about five minutes <laughs> just now. I've just looked. Uh, Pompey won 4-2. Joe Pickett with a hat-trick with Curtis with the other goal as well, with players such as Jay Mingy, Ryan Tunnicliffe and Denver Hume also getting some much-needed minutes on the pitch as well. Proudly, since Pickett's got a hat-trick, do you think he should start against Ipswich, or is that too big of a call? Uh, he might as well play all three strikers up front. Um, no, I, I think, I, I think to be honest, like the role that he's got at the, at the moment, it like suits suits him at the moment. I, I, I think at the start of the season, we probably would have said he would have been the starter just because of the options we had. But I think obviously Colby Bishop and Scarlett are ahead of him, and I think deserve to be. But yeah, he's he's a good option to have off the bench like at the moment. I don't think that needs to change unless obviously Bishop's going through a, a tough time. But I can't see that happening. Yeah, Pig is a solid striker to have, and he's quite a complete striker. He, he causes a, a lot of distress for defenders when he comes on off the bench. And I don't think he minds that. I think I saw in an article that he's the person organising all the social stuff, um, getting getting the lads down to Gunwharf. <laughs> I saw a comment that tweet of a band name like Pigger and the Gunwharf Boys. <laughs> what <laughs> Joff, is that going to be your next band name? If you have yeah. another band, yeah, may as well be. Um, I can't remember who tweeted that. I have to give them credit if I know who it was. But that, my that's fantasy football team name. name, yeah, my fantasy football team name is the Pig and Bishop after the Swan and Pedo from Peep Show. Um, <laughs> great <laughs> reference, great reference. But is is Pig allowed to play against Ipswich? Because he's on, obviously on loan. Genuinely, I'm not actually sure. That is actually something I don't know. I don't know. Um, if it's not I saw. I clicked on the article tweeted by Portsmouth and, they, and it looks like Karoma uh, started up top with Piggott, with Curtis on the left. So maybe he's, yeah, maybe Cowley's just getting Karoma ready to play up front if Piggott can't, yeah, if Piggott can't play against Ipswich, then. Well, that's know. an interesting point then. If, um, let's say, for example, Scarlett and Bishop start against Ipswich, one of them has to come off. Yeah. Who do you play up front? Uh, he's men- Cowley's mentioned liking sometimes Ronan Curtis playing up front. Yeah, I guess if he sees more Karoma as more of a player to play in that front two and keeping Curtis on the left, then that makes sense. But yeah, Curtis has been used up there. He's done well there. Um, I think I think he's pretty handy in a front two. I'd never play him kind of on his own in a four five one or four in a four three three. But in the two, he's done well. But if he sees Karoma as a fit for there, then um, cool. Of course, it could be total nonsense, but I guess we'll wait and see. Well, it was mentioned that before Karoma signed, Cowley did want that sort of attacking player who could play wing and up front, so he could fill in both. So that is something to keep in mind anyway. Uh, it was good that Pompey managed to have that friendly, make sure players get fitness and so on. There are some fitness-related news coming out of the club this week. Obviously, Tom Naylor went... Uh, Tom Naylor? Tom Lowry? God, I'm not comparing the two at all. <laughs> Tom Lowry came off uh, in, the, in the Plymouth game with hamstring injury on the 40th minute. This was deemed to be only a minor hamstring chair and he is expected to play against Ipswich. Proudly, if he's fit, does Lowry 
have to start against Ipswich, do you think? Oh, 100%. I, I think, I know how good he was at crew. And when we signed him, I was very pleased. But I, I think I'm very surprised how quickly he's got himself into the team. And he is now pretty much a starter for us next to Pack. I think uh, what he offers the team is really good. He's very, like, he's just quick on the ball, uh, like, can run with the ball, bring the ball forward really well, link up play really quickly, tackle. Like, he's, he's got everything in his locker for a central midfield player. And I, I'm so pleased we've managed to sign him. And if he is fit to start against Ipswich, then he has to start, in my opinion. Obviously, reservations about Morel's fitness, and uh, like I, I, I've got a lot of time for Morel. Obviously, I think the fitness was a bit of an issue. I did notice that he was struggling a little bit, and I don't think he offers the same, the the, the same what Lowry does to the team. Uh, obviously, they're two completely different players, in my opinion. So, yeah, I think he has to start. Oh, well, I think I mentioned this with Gabe Sutton earlier in the week when I chatted to him about Pompey. You could look at it on his Twitter. The Lowry and Pack pairing, I think, makes this team. Both of them are balanced in a way that both of them are defensively responsible. Both of them are extremely comfortable on the ball. Both of them have a range of passing. Both of them have excellent mover off the ball where they're always looking to be an out ball and always in the right positions. And that completely changes the team entirely. So, yeah, I agree with you, Proudly. Lowry has to start for me. Rafferty and Jacobs have also been in the treatment room with groin and stomach muscle injuries, respectively. Jacobs is apparently back in training, according to Danny Cowley, who he, which he reported this week. Rafferty is currently completing rehab for his stomach injury, and the injury is described as debilitating and quite hard to rehab, according to Danny Cowley in the news. There is a potential that if the rehab doesn't work, that he may have to go through potential low-level surgery, which means, according to Cowley, that Rafferty may end up being out for four weeks if that surgery goes ahead at all. Geoff, how much of a blow would it be for Rafferty to miss that time if that surgery goes ahead? And who do you play primarily at right back if he's sidelined for an extended period of time? Obviously, Ogilvy's filled in so far, and you've also got Zach Swanson as well. Yeah, I think you keep it the same. It's worked relatively well. Ogilvy, I'm thinking, yeah, he prefers him to Swanson. And after seeing Swanson's 45 or 60 minutes against Crawley, yeah, I don't think he's quite ready yet for League One football. So I'd start Ogilvy. Also as well, if Kieran Freeman's fit, he played 90 minutes today. Looks like a centre-back in today's friendly against Chelsea. But if Freeman's fit, then I think I'd prefer him over Swanson. He looked, yeah, when he came on for Swanson, he looked really solid um, against Crawley. And by all accounts, he's you know, a dedicated pro and keep working hard on the training ground. So he's more of a natural fit to slot in. But ideally, you keep it the same. And Ogilvy's done well. You know, having a left foot from the right, especially if your right wing is right-footed, yeah, it creates a different option and I don't see any reason to change. It creates a lot of underlaps by having the uh, the fullback on his uh, other foot on that side. The question that Cowley has to get right in that scenario is, say, for example, Clark Robertson or is out or Michael Morrison needs a rest and you had to play Ogilvy at centre-half, then you don't have that right-back option. So do you either go for the raw talent in Swanson or do you go for... Like the out of favour professional first team player in, in, in this instance, because it's obvious that Cowley was trying to move Kieran Freeman in the summer. It didn't quite happen. He's still around the squad. Personally, I think in that sense, you have to just go for the play you trust the most. I think Freeman has that. He's played at right back in a back four several times. And if Cowley doesn't trust Sonson, Pompey are 
go for a promotion. I think you have to take the short term thing of having the better pro in there. Um, what do you think, Proudy? If it came as a scenario that Ogilvy can't play right back and has to play left back or centre half, do you take Freeman or Swanson for the right back role? I, I think I'm just looking back to last season and I remember how many times I've watched Freeman play right back and he was fairly solid, but there was a lot of question marks about his. Uh, I, I think like his crossing into the box and like for a team that we crossed the ball a lot better this season than we did last season. I think we we know we have to get the ball in the box because Bishop's in there, get onto his head nine times out of ten, it will go in the back of the net. And same with Scarlett, if you get the ball into the box, he can obviously poach on stuff. And I, I I always questioned about Freeman's crossing into the box. I I didn't think it was good enough. I, I it would never improve. So I feel like we'd have to play Swanson. And the fact that Cowley's brought Swanson in, I know he's one for the future. Uh, but the only way he's going to get experience, like in proper first team football, is actually play in first team football. I feel like he would be the better option for me, uh, just because obviously watching Freeman, and I don't know if he really offers anything. Like defensively, I've got nothing wrong against Freeman. I think he's fairly good defensively, and. Still question marks about Swanson defensively, but yeah, you, you've got to go with the players that you've brought in and uh, recently and give them an opportunity. Yeah, it was mentioned that, for example, against Burton, Ogilvy was preferred on the wrong side to Swanson because of the physical aspect of it, because Burton were a very physical side. They would have knocked him around a fair bit and that happened to Portsmouth for a little bit in that game, but they were able to stave it off. I think it might be a case of picking and choosing which opposition. It might be a case of swapping and changing both if that came to pass. Cowley revealed that he wanted the Bolton game to go ahead, uh, according to Mark McMahon in the news. It was Bolton's decision to take, to postpone what would be Saturday's game due to international breaks. They had four players out, I believe. And Cowley said that you always want to play. It's never nice waking up on a Saturday morning without a game. Quite rightly so. My weekend is nil because there's no football, obviously. Is this a big deal, either of you? Uh, Does it matter that much that there's now a bit of a break before the Ipswich game because Bolton are a strong team some would argue that the form may carry on if they have a good performance here or is the break a benefit to Pompey do you think either of you I'll open the floor on this one I think with the players we have out to internationals Griffiths Morel and Scarlett yeah I'm not I'm not entirely sure whether I'd want to play without those guys especially if Lowry wasn't be fit. You're looking relatively thin in centre midfield, especially when you're playing a two and having to do a lot of running if other teams are playing a three. But in terms of a break, you know, the friendly was really good to keep levels of match fitness up and get players who have been out to a level that's that's satisfactory for Cowley. So if we can sneak another friendly in there, I guess on Tuesday, or yeah, have one of a, a Bielsa-style murderable session of intense... 11 aside game then that's cool but you know I'm not a fan of the international breaks I, you would rather play but with the injuries and internationally players we have it's probably the right choice Rowdy considering how you know packed the schedule is especially for us as well because we have I think it's two weeks we have two week break after we play is it Derby or Morecambe I can't remember it was one of the two uh, so we have a two week break until December so that's another two weeks we're not going to have a game uh, and then obviously December and uh, Christmas and January are always really packed. And if we go through a far in the FA Cup as well, which I, I don't know if Cowley really cares about that much, to be honest. And yeah, I think it's a problem that we're not having games. Obviously, we've got the Barnsley game uh, still to fit into the schedule as well. There's only so many Tuesdays in the season. 
it worries me if we end up in a situation like we did last season where we had so many games to play in April and with the squad we had, obviously our squad last year was thinner. So we had a, an issue where we were just like, oh, if we don't have enough players to actually, uh, you know, f- fulfill like a, a fill a bench as well, we're in big trouble. Like I understand like for some teams, it probably is a welcome break, but for us, we need to build momentum, like being unbeaten and top of the league. We need to build momentum. And if we keep having a stop start, season is is going to be a, a bit problematic later on down the line. Yeah, at the end of the last season, it was a big issue when basically Pompey were playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday for what seemed like months and the squad wasn't as strong as it is now. And also there were a shed load of injuries. I think last season was probably the worst season Pompey have had for ages for injuries, probably since the 15-16 team when they lost to Plymouth in the playoffs that, uh, playoffs that season. But no, I think it is a genuine concern for me. Something that Pompey fans won't be concerned about at all is what the Charlton owner is going on about recently, Thomas Sangard, in the, in the news. He claims that uh, Pompey were spending big for promotion. Sangard accused the Blues of investing more aggressively this season. I don't know what he's on about. Cowley responded, basically said it was nonsense. That's not a direct quote, I'm paraphrasing. He said, we know the truth. All my successful teams normally get criticised when we win games. So I thought that was a bit clever. And he also mentioned the harness deal, which effectively he said he was trading harness to find a way to get better. Joff, how much nonsense is Thomas Sangar talking about here? Because uh, obviously it's quite funny. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't necessarily dis- disagree with saying we had to, you know, to get rid of fun- harness to free up funds to buy other players. I think there's an element of truth to that. I think Cowley said recently, a couple of days ago, uh, that... Yeah, with the harness money, that's what how we got Bishop and were able to free up wages kind of from our overall financial playing staff structure to get players like Pack and Lowry in and stuff like that. So I don't necessarily disagree, but we haven't splashed cash like Ipswich have last season and Sheffield Wednesday and other clubs have definitely spent a lot more than us. Probably kind of in terms of transfers this summer compared to last summer. We've probably spent overall more, but our net spend is probably about the same when you take into account the sale of harness. So, you know, it's just someone chatting rubbish to try and get under Cowley's skin. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, I don't think he'd be saying that if his side wasn't 14 from the table and haven't won in five. So, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that to we'll leave that to him, shall we? Moving to another prominent figure off the pitch, Eric Eisner. He was tweeting about the Milton End redevelopment and how excited he was. They're aiming to boost the capacity in the in the away end from 2,000 to 3,200. The developments will start next month and are likely to go up to 2024, according to the news. In the meantime, capacity will be brought down to 1,600 um, due to the redevelopment. This will be temporarily roughly below the 10% attendance mark, which is like the generic figure for how many away fans you're allowed in the stadium. And then because of that, home fans won't be in the be able to go in the Milton end for a while, while the re- redevelopment starts. Uh, it didn't mention how long-term that would be. This was in the Tony Goodall fans conference. I've read the minutes that were released today. And yeah, it didn't mention how long that that change will be in place. Proudly, what do you think of the redevelopment? Are you really excited that Fratton Park is just continually developing all the time and looking much nicer than it was years ago? It is pleasing to see. I've seen, I've, I've been keeping up to date over the summer and they've obviously been talking about the North Stand and South Stand and the redevelopments there. 
Uh, I haven't, unfortunately, been able to get down to Fratton Park uh, to see it in person uh, and see it with my own eyes. Uh, but I know my uncle sits in the south stand and he says how great it is. Like it's, it's a much better view now from compared to uh, last season. I think it's it's something obviously we've needed for years. I I I'm one of those people that I don't want to move away from Fratton Park. I think these like these old school grounds are dying, and I think like the character that the ground has. Uh, it can't be replicated in new build stadiums at all. I don't think, I, I mean, you can list off so many new build stadiums where when you go, the atmosphere is if, you, if you've been to dreadful. the keep, but if you've been to, um, Doncaster Stadium, I can't remember the name of it. Is it the keep uh, yeah, no, I was there with you last season. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the sure keep boat, yeah. That stadium, but yeah. also the, um, the, 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 the whole, yeah, the yeah. whole, whole, whole the stadium. The soulless bowls, aren't they? They don't yeah. have ends yeah. even. And so, yeah, like, I think we've needed to redevelop the ground for a while, but I, I, and I've talked to all my friends about this and they always say, oh, would you not want to move to a stadium elsewhere? So no, like, Fran Parts, I don't want to say perfect the way it is, because it isn't clearly why they're redeveloping it. But like, just the character of the ground is, you can't replicate that, like, nowadays. And I think uh, it's, it's, but it's needed a much, you know, a much needed makeover. I think there's a lot of things that needed to be done about the grounds just to make it easier for supporters. I think the Milton end, obviously I've seen what they want to do with it. And I think that's quite exciting. Whether, whether we have like enough away fans a lot of the time to like fill that area, like remains to be seen until we get to the championship, in my opinion, to fully make use of those facilities. But yes, yeah, it's, it's just an exciting time really at the moment. Like we're doing really well on the pitch, doing well off the pitch. There's not really many complaints at the moment. No, absolutely not. And it's amazing that those changes are being made off the pitch. Other changes which may be made off the pitch nationally, which is quite hard. Uh, Premier League clubs met this week uh, to discuss a new deal for football. This was according to Martin Ziegler in the Times. The reason why I mentioned this is because some of the changes which may or may not happen in the future directly impacts Portsmouth and the league pyramid as a whole. They discussed scrapping replays in the third and fourth rounds of the FA Cup, which is a vital source of income for lower league sides. And they were also discussing eliminating the League Cup altogether or placing under-21 sides, well, B-teams, not under-21 sides, that's advertising. They want to put B-teams in the League Cup as well. I'll ask both of you your opinions on both of these prospective things. Let's just pretend that it, do- that it does happen. Joff, do you think scrapping replays, what, what's the big problem here? Does it just devalue the competition? Does it just make lowly clubs is that another financial mechanism that they have is that just taking it away for no reason yeah I think it's a load of of rubbish in that I think getting a big draw away from home in the third or fourth round or fifth if you're lucky to progress that far or even you know drawing at home grinding out a result and then going away yeah I think it was Exeter City against Man United I think early 2000s where they drew nil-nil at home and then went to Old Trafford and that the finances from that essentially saved the club. So it's, you know, it's invaluable to clubs. It's stupid if they do decide to sack it off. I don't see how 14 out of 20 teams in the Premier League would vote for this to happen and other teams in the EFL, I don't know whether they get a vote on these things, but I don't see how, how it would happen at all. But yeah, it's just, yeah, the FA Cup's something special. I really love it. I think in Paul Scholes and Gary Neville's overlap interview I think Paul Skull said his favourite moment on a football pitch was scoring in the FA Cup final and you know he's won Champions Leagues and that so you know that says it all 
so it just devalues it, doesn't it? I think. Yeah. Proudly, what are your thoughts? Uh, it's, in my opinion, I like replays, but it is subjective because the reason is I say that is, is only because, like, for example, okay, let's say like, FA Cup games last year, we played Harrow at home. Uh, imagine if we drew Harrow at home and then we had to go to a replay. Like, how many Pompey fans would be happy about that? The, the fact we have to then go away to a team who are in the seventh tier of English football. And then you probably, like, I'd probably say that the split would be 80 20, everyone saying, I'll oh, get rid of replays because why are we playing? Why are we doing this again? Like, it's just in a, in a packed schedule. As Joff said, it, if you, if you had a Premier League team and you drew them at home and then you went away, everyone would be like loving it because that's, it's just subjective. It's, it's just how it is. Like, I, I think, yeah, like as a lower league club, obviously we have to say that if replays are huge uh, for teams, they can save clubs, obviously. Let's see being the big example that was mentioned. And I'm sure there's countless other clubs that have been saved because they've had a, a massive draw uh, at which they've managed to get away from home or they've managed to take a team to replay and then go away. Uh, I think Cambridge was another one, actually, and it was against United as well. So... Yeah, I can see it from that perspective. I can see it from our perspective. If we, if we were the other way rounds, like I would wonder if we were in the prem, whether that opinion would be different, whether we'd say any differently. I don't know. Like, uh, cause I can, I'm trying to think of many games that we've gone to replays against, like teams that we really shouldn't be going to replays against and think, oh, what a waste of time this is. So there haven't um, been that many for Pompey from my memory, and we really, normally get knocked out before that. So yeah, unless, well, yeah, I was going to say <laughs> uh, uh, unless we go all the way to the final, Bradley, obviously, um, yeah. obviously. Oh, going um, on about that again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, always mention the FA Cup. So yeah, FA, of course, both no, FA no. Cup finals, all of them, and the FA Cup win. I want Carnu's. I want Carnu's cap and lifting the cup again. Obviously, <laughs> no, ecstasy is a big one. Uh, ironically yeah. enough, I was going to use that as an example, so I pulled out some of the stats from that. So. For those of you who don't know, in the 2015-16 season, Exeter City played Liverpool in the FA Cup third round. They played at home first at St. James's Park, and then they were able to take uh, Liverpool to a replay. It was a draw. But the most important thing is, because they took Liverpool to the replay, they bagged £700,000 for that replay, which was, according to the Mirror, their, the equivalent of their entire wage bill for the year that 700 grand in that one game and their turnover grew from to foot their turnover grew to 4 million from 2.8 million that year just for those two games i think those statistics they they say it's all and i think it's even more pressing due to the fact that there are so many more reasons for fans not to go to games at the moment with the cost of living and the squeeze on costs and those costs are also being felt at football grounds. You've even got clubs like Bradford City even arguing to bring kickoff times forward just to take away the possibility of lighting the stadium because of the energy costs, which is absurd, and so many other reasons. I just think just because Klopp is annoyed that he can't play, that he has to like go midweek to New- Newport County away, for example, if-, if his B team doesn't actually win the first game and doesn't do the job, I think that's just, I think taking those things away just diminishes it completely. I think the League Cup might be a different conversation in terms of whether we want to scrap it or not, because there are some things about that cup which is a bit weird. For example, you don't get prize money until the latter stages of the games. You only get TV money, for example, which for some clubs might not be worth it. Sometimes clubs it might be. So there's a lot to talk about there, but uh, 
hey, that new deal isn't for a while. They just chatted about it and any decisions around that will probably not be made for a, a long time. The few little bits in the Tony Goodall fans conference that was interesting before they bring news. Currently, the uh, current attendance capacity is now somewhere between 18,500 to 19,500 at Fratton Park because of the redevelopments. Guys, how happy are you that the attendances are now, the capacity is now going up because we've had, it feels like we've been around the 17,000 mark for a long time now. And uh, I think it's massive that we're bringing this back up again, uh, getting more fans back in the stadium. Like in the last few years, actually longer than that, but like being in the bottom two divisions, uh, obviously our capacity is still not really, like it hasn't really been affected too much, I don't think, uh, dropping down the divisions from the Prem, uh, Premier League. So I think it's, it's, it's always a positive to see like Fratton Park at that attendance. I, I, a lot has, a lot has always been made about atmosphere and the atmosphere will only get better the more fans you have in it. Uh, and I've already said how like, you know, how great Fratton Park is and like how, where like the fans are situated. Uh, and I think like the positives that you could tell, like, like when our support is very vocal. Very positive. You could see it really it brings the energy to the players, and that's why the results have been so good. So I think, you know, and we we could we've mentioned this so many times. Like when it's toxic, I can yeah. Once again, I can recall so many games I've been to where the atmosphere has been horrendous, and that that energy seeps into the players, and then we obviously get negative results from it. But yeah, like the fact that the attendance is getting back to normal rates again, I can't you know once again can't complain. No, no, you love it, don't you? Especially with the capacities going up. There's a real buzz around the club now. More and more people are wanting to go into the ground. I don't criticise for people wanting to go and see the team when they're playing well and winning games. It's only it's only devout fans like ourselves that want to go and watch Sunderland away when there's nothing to play for or Sheffield Wednesday away when there's nothing to play for. I do love that, though. I, I will never forget those games, though. One issue that has been highlighted, which you've all seen on Twitter, the delivery of tickets has been, physical tickets for away games has been really weird recently. I've seen so many posts of people getting their tickets for away games like five days after the actual game has taken place. <laughs> this was mentioned in the conference. Apparently under regulation, home clubs should deliver tickets well in advance of four weeks. And apparently this has not been happening. Apparently all the information to like sort out the tickets before Portsmouth can send them across, for example, this is being done a fortnight before the game or even 10 days before the game in some cases. Um, and this is happening to other clubs across the country. It's not just a Portsmouth thing. Joff, how annoying is this? And what could actually be done about it, do you think, to change the I'm, I'm actually insanely stressed out because I still haven't received my Crawley Town Papa John's trophy ticket. <laughs> no, I mean, I was able to collect it at the ground, which is fine, but... I bought it well enough in advance and, you know, it should have arrived. Still hasn't. Whether they've actually posted or not, who knows? You know, it's, it is stressful uh, travelling to away grounds, not having a ticket because you never know whether they've actually sorted it or not. And, you know, if you've, if you've spent you know, a couple of hours on a train, your phone's run out of battery and you've got no proof of whether you actually bought the ticket or not, yeah, it can be stressful. So I hope something can be done to rectify it. You know, I don't, I don't see why. I mean, I like keeping all my old away ground tickets you know it's a nice collectible to have um, but I don't see why not why e-tickets can't be a thing and you know that instantly I bought my ticket to Charlton away today when they went on general sale I think at five and you know that's almost a month away so hopefully it'll arrive in time but there's no reason why an e-ticket can't just be emailed straight to your inbox like 
like when you buy a home ticket. So yeah, I, I think I think it's just a set up at each individual club. Some some grounds obviously aren't fitted for each tickets. It's annoying, but hey, hopefully these things will go away soon. Before we go on to a tiny bit about the Ipswich game, we're going to go through this in full on the next episode of the PO Forecast next week. Hopefully, uh, Hugh and Andy, their immune systems actually sort themselves out and they're actually fit enough to host again. I'm going to ask this question to both. What is your moment of the season so far? Geoff, I'm going to go to you first because Proudy looks as if he's staring into space and he's going to contemplate <laughs> this all day. Um, I will. My moment of the season so far, I think personally, I really enjoyed... Dane Scarlett's goal against Crawley. I think Minoga plays a really nice ball through the lines and Scarlett turns and finishes in the far corner from outside the box. And that kind of kicked off his little streak of scoring. And did a nice little knee slide to the corner. But I think it was then you could see, Flip, we've got a player on our hands. And yeah, I mean, it's a flipping piece of trophy. It doesn't matter that much until we get to the final and everyone starts caring about it, right? But I, yeah, I think that's, that was a really nice moment for me. Um, probably my favourite moment of the season so far. Howdy, what is your? You, oh. you was that moment when you go to bed at night dreaming of Portsmouth Football Club? What is that moment this season that comes up? I I think the one, the one I will go with was Colby Bishop scoring away at Sheffield Wednesday to put us three two up because that was the moment I thought we've actually got a good team this year. Like <laughs> that's the moment I was just like <laughs> that would that because I remember I remember tweeting this out like vividly. I remember sitting down, had the first game on. And we were getting battered for the first 10 minutes and then we conceded. And I thought, oh, here we go again. I've just, like, my whole summer's been ruined. Like, my whole year's been ruined. Like, we're back to normal. We're just playing awfully already. We can't defend. And then, obviously, we, like, the first 45 minutes of that game, we were awful. And then I remember, this is just going to be another long season, isn't it? And then I remember we came back out and we showed some fight and some grit. And then when we went 3-2 up, and obviously I had reservations, like, not reservations, but I had a bit of worry about Colby Bishop because I thought we signed him as a lot of money. If he doesn't hit the ground running, we are in big trouble. And then he scored and it was just like, we've got a team and I, and like, obviously we conceded to so make a free free, but that was when I was like, yeah. And now I keep watching back the videos from like the, the fans footage. Like I, I know Tom, uh, 4-0 written all over it. Um, got loads of stuff on YouTube and I watch it back and I, the hairs on the back of my neck always stand up when I see a celebrating. There's something about that goal. It's just like, yeah, no, <laughs> I wish it, I was there. Yeah, always the the limbs and the away end. It always lights me up every time. I just love going away for to away games. Hopefully, I can manage to wrangle my way to Ipswich. Fingers crossed. My personal moment, I think it was the the two one against Peterborough at home because that just cemented it for me. We were playing against a promotion rival, and we pretty much dominated the majority of the game. They had arguably. In some cases, a better squad on paper, but it didn't matter. And Dane Scarlett's bullet header for me, just a one of the goals of the season. I enjoyed that so much. The only thing we're going to say about Ipswich score predictions. What is your score prediction for the game against Ipswich? Proudy, I'll, I'll make you go first because you yeah. went second last uh, time. I I'm going to say one one. And we're going to score first in the first half, and then Ipswich will score with like ten minutes left. That, that's what I'm going to say. I, 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 I don't I, know who's going to score for us. I, I'm going to. Oh, I'm going to let's go, go for goal scorers. Uh, I'm no. I'm going to go. Out there. I'm going to say Owen Dale is going to score for us, and Marcus Harness is going to equalise. All right. So obviously the <laughs> off the bench. Pompey, yeah, <laughs> ex Pompey curse continues. Uh, Joff, goal scorer prediction for the game against Ipswich. Um, 
I was going to say 1-1. One, one. I actually... Uh, I don't like saying this. I, mm, I'm i going to predict a 2-1 loss. I know that's not in the spirit of things. What, why are you here? I know. <laughs> Can we just delete this podcast and start again? I was going to say, you don't this. predict losses on this show. Unless we're absolutely awful. You fine, know that. fine. It's a tool draw. You've changed yes. my mind. <laughs> Goal scorers. Yeah, well, with, you know, there are stuff, there's some things in life that statistics and maths can't explain, and that's Portsmouth players, ex-Portsmouth players scoring against us. So Marcus Harness and Connor Chaplin for Ipswich, you know, put money on that if you want, com. But uh, who's scoring for us? Ragged header, and I think I reckon Pack's gonna score. You know, that, 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 that's a that's a cool suggestion. That's a cool suggestion because Pack has been near it a lot of the time, and he joins in the build-up play a fair bit as well. So I think that's a decent shout. I get the luxury of leaving my scoring prediction until next week. So that's what I'm going to do. Ooh. I'm going to leave it till next week. Leave people in suspense. But thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, th- big thank you to obviously Proudy and Joff for filling in this week. Guys, one by one, thank you very much. Proudy, it's been a pleasure as always. Where can people find your stuff if they're interested in Proudy? Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you can find me on YouTube, Proudy. I don't upload as much as I want to, but that will hopefully change soon. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, ProudyYT. I do go viral a lot. Um, I did go viral the other week, which uh, we won't. We won't disclose why, but you know, it happens. And, uh, I think that's really it in terms of my socials now. I, I'm, I'm on the social media hiatus at the moment. So those are the only two that I can recall. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Joff, it's been a pleasure again. Where can people find you for, uh, music and spreadsheets? Oh, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Pompey stats on Twitter. And I just post everything I do on there. Uh, I don't do YouTube or anything like that. Um, don't have the time for that. But yeah, at Pompey Stats on Twitter, you'll find me there just chatting a lot of nonsense and seeing a few numbers thrown around. Awesome, awesome. And if, for example, you want to follow my stuff, you can follow me on Twitter at freds.w. And if you want to just randomly look at news stories, you can look at them on the news portal as well. If you randomly decide to do that, keeps me in a job and employed after all. But thank you guys all so much for watching. We'll see you next week. And until next time, play up Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!